COP27 concludes with much homework and little time. We need all hands on deck to drive justice and ambition. When the rest of the world is watching this space, they are really just asking one critical question. Are we making enough progress compared to where we were last year? The numbers on our NDCs just don't add up. The transparency of commitments from countries, businesses and institutions will be a priority of the Secretariat. This is The Lid Is On with me, Connor Lennon, recording the actual last COP27 podcast from New York. Yes, I'm back home. Just got back a few minutes ago. Just said hi to the family. You want to say hi? Hi. Hello. I'll be done as quick as I can. Now, I know I said Lara and I had done the last COP27 podcast on, what was it, Friday. But if you remember, our news was that there was no news. No consensus was reached before the pavilions and food stalls were closed down. But finally, early Sunday morning, this morning, we got an outcome document. And I wasn't there. So here's what happened. I had a flight booked from Sharm El Sheikh on Saturday evening. I spent the last 24 hours or so in airports or up in the air, checking in on developments as best I could on dodgy Wi-Fi. Anyway, I was following what was happening. Back at Sharm El Sheikh, I could see photos of exhausted TV crews, journalists dozing on the couches outside the big plenary hall. And I was exchanging texts with colleagues in New York and Sharm El Sheikh, and everyone was getting more tired and more frustrated. And I have to admit, I held up very little hope that we would get an outcome document, because when I left my hotel in Sharm El Sheikh on Saturday afternoon, things were not looking good. The COP27 president, Sami Shukri, held a press conference and he looked pretty exhausted and pretty defeated. Over the last two weeks, I have been following closely the consultations and discussions that have been underway between the parties, efforts to reach a consensus, primarily the issue of loss and damage, the uh, mitigation work program, the global goal and adaptation. We have been working through the night all of yesterday with all of the negotiating groups to hear from them directly their perspectives, their interests, where they see a landing zone to deal with these issues so that we can find a path forward and move ahead to reconfirm our dedication to the UNFCCC process and our ability to meet the challenges of climate change. Uh, the issue now rests with the will of the parties. Uh, it is the parties who must uh, rise to the occasion and uh, take upon themselves the responsibility of finding the areas of convergence and moving uh, forward. Now, as COP27 President Sami Shukri essentially saying, I've done my bit, guys. Now it's up to you. And there was an NGO press conference not long after that, and pretty much all of the focus, as it has been throughout this COP, was on loss and damage. Here's Li Shuo, Global Policy Advisor for Greenpeace East Asia. We have uh, worked hard and traveled quite far over, over the last two weeks. And we have now come to this critical juncture uh, at COP27. Uh, this is a very important moment. The world is watching this space. Uh, and I think when the rest of the world is watching this space, they are really just asking one critical question, which is, are we making enough progress 
compared to where we were last year. If we look at, you know, if we look across the world, what happened uh, this year, the severe climate impacts across the world. We need to show solidarity to the global south, in particular, the most vulnerable countries. So the world is watching this space and asking, are we delivering this firm and strong political signal by creating a loss and damage finance fund at this COP? Li Shuo from Greenpeace East Asia. Other NGO leaders made similar calls for a loss and damage fund. And loss and damage, I think it's going to be the big phrase from this COP, like fossil fuel phase down was for COP26 last year. I mean, we were talking about loss and damage almost every day for the past two weeks. A quick recap, if you haven't been following every twist and turn, loss and damage in this context refers to the impact of the man-made climate crisis on developing countries, which tend to suffer the most, whilst bearing little to no responsibility for the greenhouse gas emissions that are causing it. They want a fund set up to compensate them for the devastation wreaked by climate shocks, things like floods, hurricanes, droughts. Sounds fair, right? But it's complicated. For example, which countries should be paying into this fund? Historic emitters like the US and Europe? Or what about rapidly developing countries whose emissions have been rising sharply, such as China or India? And which countries qualify as vulnerable and therefore able to benefit from the fund? Should the fund be linked to emissions reductions, limiting developing countries' ability to improve lives by making use of their gas reserves, for example? Like I said, it's complicated. Anyway, late afternoon, Saturday, local time in Egypt, we started hearing that some kind of overall deal might actually be possible, with language on loss and damage financing, some mention of a fossil fuel phase down, which was introduced at COP26 last year, of course, and that the 1.5 degree target, so keeping global temperatures to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels, would be mentioned, because there'd been some worries that even that wouldn't make it into the outcome document. So, those of us who were still around were waiting for that final plenary meeting, which would put the final seal on the whole thing, but it kept getting delayed and delayed, and eventually I had to head off to catch my plane. And in the airport, I was getting texts and emails, the Wi-Fi is going in and out, and then I had to get on the plane. The plenary finally began on Sunday at around 4.30 local time, and by all accounts, it was a pretty tortuous process. I mean, there were celebrations when the section on loss and damage was gaveled through because it's taken around three decades to get it on the agenda. And now the idea of a fund has been agreed. Details to be discussed later, but this is big news. I think it has to be taken as the win from this year, given the pessimism that overshadowed the last two weeks. In terms of efforts to keep global temperatures to no more than 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels, well... 1.5 is in the document, so technically 1.5 is alive, but there's no real detail on how exactly that's going to happen. There's also been some concern from some quarters about the inclusion of the phrase low emissions energy. Some observers are worrying that could be used as a justification for the exploitation of new gas fields, which are less polluting than coal, but they still contribute to greenhouse gas emissions. So after the gavel came down, Simon Steele, the head of UN Climate Change, summed up the achievements. We've determined a way forward on a decade-long conversation on funding for loss and damage, deliberating over how we address the impacts on communities whose lives and livelihoods have been ruined 
by the very worst impacts of climate change. So at COP27, we've established the fund that will provide one pillar of the response required to ensure loss and damage is addressed. The IPCC report that came out in April, written and agreed to by the world scientists, told us that global emissions need to start a downward trajectory by 2025. That's only two years away. The IPCC also told us to cut emissions by nearly half by 2030. That's only seven years away. In this text, we have been given reassurances that there is no room for backsliding. It gives the key political signals that indicate the phase down of all fossil fuels is happening. We have set a work plan for 2023 to help articulate the nature and components of a global collective goal on adaptation and resilience and how it can be structured in a way that feeds into the global stock take. This opens the door for transformative action to achieve climate resilient development. It will help to break the mindset that for decades has kept us from moving beyond business as usual. There is absolutely no point putting ourselves through all that we've just gone through if we're going to participate in an exercise of collective amnesia the moment the cameras move on. The numbers on our NDCs just don't add up. The transparency of commitments from countries, businesses and institutions will be a priority of the Secretariat. Simon Steele, the head of UN Climate Change, also, he mentioned initiatives to encourage the financial industry to move funds to investments that support sustainable development and move them away from the fossil fuel industry. And he promised to keep the pressure on throughout the year and hold nations to account. He said that the UN Secretary General wants UN climate change to come up with a plan to ensure accountability and transparency in the process. Well, back on Friday, if you can remember that far back, Lara and I went through the UN and UN-backed initiatives that were launched or announced at this COP. They include efforts to curb greenwashing, in other words, unsubstantiated green claims made by companies and cities. Also a plan to help vulnerable countries and people get more warning of climate shocks, such as floods or hurricanes, and a new tool that identifies exactly where emissions are being produced. Lara and my UN News colleagues produced the final story on COP earlier today and all of the detail of the final outcome is there. Just Google UN News COP27 and you will find it. And finally, here's an excerpt from the remarks recorded by the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who came back to COP for the final negotiations. He welcomed the loss and damage progress, but he pointed out that what's really needed is serious action on reducing emissions. A fund for loss and damage is essential, but it's not an answer if the climate crisis washes a small island state off the map or turns an entire African country to desert. The world still needs a giant leap on climate ambition. The red line we must not cross is the line that takes our planet over the 1.5 degree temperature limit. 
to have any hope of keeping to 1.5, we need to massively invest in renewables and end our addiction to fossil fuels. We must avoid an energy scramble in which developing countries finish last, as they did in the race for COVID-19 vaccines. Doubling down on fossil fuels is double trouble. That is why I am pushing so hard for a climate solidarity pact. A pact in which all countries make an extra effort to reduce emissions this decade in line with 1.5 degree goal. A pact to mobilize, together with the international financial institutions and the private sector, financial and technical support for large emerging economies to accelerate their renewable energy transition. This is essential to keep the 1.5 degree limit within reach and for everyone to play their part. COP27 concludes with much homework and little time. We are already halfway between the Paris Climate Agreement and the 2030 deadline. We need all hands on deck to drive justice and ambition. That was UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres speaking at COP27, repeating his call for a climate solidarity pact. He mentioned this at the beginning of COP, which would bring developing and developed countries together to pivot the world towards reducing carbon emissions. You can find that whole video message on the UN News website. Now, that really is it for this COP. But The Lid Is On, the UN's flagship weekly news podcast, will be back on Friday, so please do like and subscribe. Have a great week.